Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together and study God's Word and apply it to our hearts so that we may learn His truths and live faithful, obedient lives. May God bless our time together. Let me invite you to open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Allow me to read this passage. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, just pray that you'll open our hearts and our minds to the truths of your word today. Help us to see that it's so easy for us to keep our thoughts and our focus on the things of this earth, but your your desire is for us to focus on you and the things of heaven. Help us, Lord, to be more heavenly minded and to keep our focus on you and your love for us and how you desire us to live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, to begin, I just want to ask a question. What changes happened in your life since we became a child of God? What changes happened in our lives since we became a child of God? Spiritually, our sins have been forgiven, and our unrighteousness has been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus, dying on the cross for our sin. We've been given God's gift of eternal life, assuring us that we will spend eternity with the Lord in heaven. We ought to rejoice over these gifts of God. But how do we ensure that we keep a relationship with the Lord pure and holy? How do we put application to what we learn as we read, study, and meditate on the Word of God? How do we allow our intimate time with God through prayer to impact our lives? Is there really a difference that is noticeable between us and the rest of the world? Let's look at this passage. Verse 1 says, therefore, if, now some translations use the word since, and either one is actually correct. I believe that Paul is actually using this word to mean both ways. First of all, I think that Paul looks at every opportunity that he can to challenge those who hear his words to examine their lives and their relationship with the Lord, see if they truly do have a right relationship. Then once examining their lives and their relationship to the Lord, if they're truly sure that they are a child of God, then the word if becomes sense. But I've been pastoring here for over nine years, and there's no way for me to know for sure if each and every one of us is a child of God. See, many people can go through the motions. They can attend church. You know, at some point in their life, they may have walked down an aisle and shaken a pastor's hand and and were baptized. Some have a very tender age, maybe eight or nine, were in vacation Bible school, and a pastor or someone asked, do you want to go to heaven? Do you want your sins to be forgiven? And everybody would raise their hand, and he would just say, well, repeat this prayer after me. Well, that may be the beginning of salvation for many people. But there has to be a 
a living out that salvation. That salvation has to grow into what we call sanctification, becoming more and more like Christ, allowing the Holy Spirit to truly impact their lives, to really take over and be allow Jesus to be Lord of their lives. So there's really no way for anyone to look at someone else and say that person definitely is a Christian because too many people can go through the motions. They say, well, I walked down an aisle and joined a church, so I guess I ought to at least act like a Christian and be in church most of the time. That doesn't mean that you're a child of God. I can see godly characteristics in many of you, but sometimes even those can be counterfeit, doing what other people expect. So there's no way for me to know if you truly have a right relationship with the Lord. So the word if is a challenge for us to examine our own hearts and lives to see are we truly surrendered to the Lordship of Christ? Have we truly received his gift of salvation and eternal life? Again, once that examination is complete and we are assured of ourselves that we belong to the Lord, we are his children, then that word if changes to sense. Now we look and we see that uh, this passage, usually I go verse by verse in order, but since verse 1 says, if you have been raised up with Christ, and then later it says, you have, been you have died to Christ, I think it's a little out of order, so I want to make sure that we go through it in a semblance of what takes place in a, in a Christian's life. So I'm actually going to go down first to chapter uh, verse 3, the first part of it. It says, for you have died... For you have died with Christ. You have died to the things, uh, uh, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So we have died with Christ. Now Jesus Christ died for us. That's called substitution. He died in our place for our sins. And now we die with him. That's called identification. We identify with what Jesus did for us. He died in our place for our sins, so now we die to our sins in Christ. So we realize that we are no longer should have a desire to relate to that which is sinful of this world, and now we're to relate to that which is of Christ. So we now desire to die to our old sin nature and to no longer live according to the old nature to have rule and reign over us. By dying with Christ, we gain his victory over the power of sin in our lives and the old nature that wants to control us. Let me share a couple of passages of scripture that speak to this. Romans chapter 6 verses 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? So notice that. If we have truly died to sin, we should no longer continue to live habitually, life-wise, like through our lives in a sinful nature. And then in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, it says, For I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. This is the true act of salvation. We are crucified with Christ. We die with him. And we say it is no longer me, I, us, who live, but Christ lives in us. 
And this life that we live is no longer to be lived in the flesh, but by faith in the Son of God, Jesus, who loved me and gave himself up for me. He died for me. So we are to die with Christ so that we might allow him to live in us. Then let's look at verse 4, the first part of it. Says when Christ, who is our life. See, when we live in Christ, Christ is our life. Once we have died with Christ, we are to then live in Him and Him in us. You know, we often talk about living a spirit filled life. But what does that really mean? Well, it means that the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, dwells in us and desires to lead us in how we live. Though we have died with Christ, to the guilt and the penalty of our sins, we are also to live with Christ. Not just waiting for that time after we die to be with Him in heaven, to enjoy our eternal life, but also now, here on earth. John 10.10 speaks to this. The thief, Satan, the devil, comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. See, Satan wants to do all that he can to keep us from living in Christ. He continues to try and steal away from the spiritual lives that we have to live in Christ. But Jesus has come so that we might have life, that's eternal life, but also now, a life that is abundant here on earth. He wants us to live here on earth to be filled to overflowing with his power, his presence, and his purpose so that we might live in him for he is our life that's what we need to understand is that jesus truly is our life that's the only reason why we need to live is to live for christ now let's go back to verse one therefore if you have been raised with christ if we die with christ are we supposed to remain in the grave no we're to be raised up with him to walk in newness of life this is that beautiful picture of baptism. Baptism does not save us, but it demonstrates outwardly what should have taken place inwardly. We die with Christ, being lowered into the baptismal waters, and we are raised with Christ, showing that we now live in victory through Him, being raised to walk in what we call a newness of life, not in the old fleshly nature, but in the Spirit of God living in us. So we're not to just identify with Jesus' death. We're uh, to identify with his death, burial, his resurrection, and his ascension. As a child of God, we are to die to our sin, being buried with Christ to our sins. Then we're to be raised with Christ to walk with him. And we also have the assurance that we will one day be with him in heaven just as he ascended to be with the Lord in glory in heaven, we too will one day ascend to be with him in glory. Since Jesus has ascended and sits at the right hand of God, we too have access to God through him on his throne. The Bible tells us that on that day that Jesus ascended, he went up into the heavens, he went up into the clouds, and basically what it says is he now sits at the right hand of God interceding on our behalf. Now what does that mean? It means that Satan loves to come before the Lord and he wants to accuse us of all of our sinfulness and our, our unrighteousness and rightfully so. He basically is saying to God, 
that person, Steve Galloway, has sinned. He has disobeyed you. And so he should reap the same consequences that I do. Eternal separation, eternal damnation. But Jesus intercedes on our behalf. And he says, no, I died in their place. I took upon myself the guilt and the penalty of their sins. And I died for them. Not only are their sins forgiven, but they are also cleansed of all their unrighteousness as if the sin never took place. That is the beautiful picture of Jesus interceding for us in heaven. That's the picture of us being raised up with him. Now, let's go back down to verse 3, the last half of it. Verse 3 says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. See, we're hidden with Christ. Now, what does that mean? Well, we've already looked at a word called mystery in this book of Colossians. And what it means is that to some, what we're talking about is unknown. To those who do not know the Lord, who have not received his gift of salvation and eternal life, this understanding that we have of who Jesus is and what he is doing for our lives, that he, that he died for us and he rose up victorious, and we join with him in our salvation and in eternal life, that is a mystery to them. They cannot comprehend that. See, our focus as children of God must become heavenward. The world cannot understand this. All they can do is focus on the worldly things. So the truth that we know as Christians are hidden to them. They cannot comprehend what it means to die to self and to live in Christ. They cannot understand what it means for us to get excited about the promises that God has given us for salvation and eternal life. Our new lives in Christ are not hidden from him or God. They are hidden with him in God from those who do not have a saving relationship with him. Let's look at, the, at verse 4. Before we cover the first half, let's get to the second half. Let me just read the whole verse. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. This completes the process of salvation. We have the initial act of salvation where we come to the understanding and realization that we are sinners saved by the grace of God and that we give our lives to Christ as Savior. We believe that he died for our sins and then we're raised up with Christ to walk in newness of life, sanctification. That simply means that we are now set apart as children of God to live for the Lord and to become more and more Christ-like. But then, when this life here on earth ends, then we begin glorification. We become glorified with Him. We really cannot comprehend what's going to take place, but what we do know is that the body that we live in is not fit for heaven. It's corrupt. But what we do know is that God is going to give us a resurrected body, a perfected body, a body that is fit for heaven. We don't exactly know what that's going to entail, but what we do know is that we will be glorified. That means there will not be any sinful desires. There will be not any anything about us that's not fit for heaven. And so the real reality is that we have already been glorified 
we just have not yet seen the reality of that glorification. John chapter 17, verse 22, Jesus is saying, The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. See, Jesus is glorified, and he says, And I have given that glory to them. Again, we have that glory. It just has not been realized yet. We have not seen it. We have not witnessed it yet. So after examining our relationship with the Lord, we should be able to identify all these aspects of our lives with Him. Salvation, sanctification, glorification. That leads us to looking at how we ought to live our lives today. That brings us back to the last part of verse 1 and all of verse 2. Let me just read those two verses together. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of this earth. So we look and we see as a child of God, we need to have a heavenly focus and not an earthly one. Allow me to read Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9. It says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Now, Paul, writing to the church of Philippi, gives us a list of things that we need to focus on, and they're all heavenly things. That which is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, good repute, anything that's excellent, worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Instead of dwelling on the things of the earth, we need to dwell on these things. So we need to keep our minds seeking the things above, Keep our minds on the things above. Everything about our lives here on earth needs to have a heavenly point of reference. Now, I know that we're not walking around every day, every minute of the day, thinking of things about heaven. But what we are to be thinking about are the things of heaven, how we ought to live to do that which is pure, right, holy, honorable, lovely. If we keep our focus on those things, then we will live in a way that truly honors God. So if we keep our minds on the things of heaven, we'll be filled with the Spirit of God and His righteousness. But if we keep our minds on the things of this earth, we will be filled with the fleshly ungodliness. So if we allow the things of the earth to influence us, we will live like the rest of the world. We will give into the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. If we allow the things of heaven to influence us, we will honor God with how we live. We will live with a desire to accomplish His will here on earth. We will live by allowing His Holy Spirit to guide us in all that we think, all that we desire, all that we say, and all that we do. Our entire lives will be lived according to His will. Even as children of God, we struggle to keep our minds focused on the things of God. As a result, we lose out on the blessing God desires to give us like the Israelites lost the blessings of entering the promised land when they focused on the giants instead of God's power. Now, 
Here's two real life situations that kind of illustrate either having a heavenly focused life or an earthly focused life. There's a couple of men in the scriptures, Paul and Silas. Now just picture yourself. Unjustly, you've been arrested and you've been thrown in jail, but not just any jail cell. They opened up a, a hole in a pit and they threw a rope down and you had to climb down the rope. And once you got to the bottom, they pulled the rope back up and closed the hole. Now you're in total pitch black darkness. And it's dank, it's wet. There's really no place to relieve yourself other than the floor. Can you imagine being in a situation like that? Now we would have two options. We would be over in a if we could find a corner, we'd be in a corner crying out, Oh, woe's me. Why am I in this situation? This is not fair. Or we can do like Paul and Silas. They began singing praise to the Lord. And we know that something miraculous took place after that. But look at their hearts. Instead of focusing on themselves and their the injustice that's been given to them, they instead focused on the Lord and sang praises to Him. Okay, let's look at the opposite. Something modern day. You get a new car. You try to keep it shiny. And you come out of the store one day. You go to reach for the handle and you see a dent and a scratch where somebody's hit it with their door getting in. My new car. This is not right. This is not fair. I can't believe this happened. Well, it's just a car. If you look at it spiritually, it's not even your car. It's God's. He's given you the ability and the privilege to be able to afford to get a new car. But if you look at it spiritually, all that we have belongs to the Lord. We're simply stewards of what He's given us. And if you look at it in a more rational way, a car is not a prize. It's not something to be envious of or to be proud proud of is simply a mode of transportation so we shouldn't be worried about a little dent or a scratch yes it does upset us but it's simply a car gets us from point a to point b instead maybe we should be maybe like paul and silas lord i thank you that you've allowed me to have a car that enables me to get to one place to another in a dependable way of transportation. See, we have every reason to honor God with our daily lives. The question is, are we doing so? So let me repeat the question I began with. What change has happened in your life since you became a child of God? What change truly has happened in your life since you became a child of God? Have our lives been truly transformed since we became a child of God? Have we truly died with Christ to our sins? Have we risen with Christ to walk with Him in newness of life? Do we have the assurance that we already have His promise of His glory set for us when we join Him in heaven? Are these changes or transformations noticeable to those around us? Do they see Christ living in us, our hope of glory? We need to surrender anew to the Lordship of Christ in our lives every day. Allow His Holy Spirit to have complete reign. Keep our minds on the things of heaven and notice that the things of this earth 
grow strangely dim. Jesus has done everything for us. There is nothing we can do for ourselves except to surrender our all to Him and allow Him to transform us into the children of God that truly bring honor and glory to Him. Then we will naturally live for Him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we open our hearts today to the truths of these words. And Lord, they are convicting. It is so easy for us to think worldly-minded, to think about that which we can see and touch, that which is real to us. And Lord, it's difficult for us not to be consumed by these things. And Lord, we're even consumed by our senses, by what brings us pleasure. And Lord, it's not always godly. Sometimes it's earthly, sometimes it's sinful. Lord, help us to understand that you not only died for our sins to save us, Lord, you all have also have risen to give us a new life to live. That new life is not to be focused on the things of this earth, but the things of heaven. Help us to focus on that which is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and good repute. And Lord, help us to focus on that which is excellent spiritually, that which is worthy of praise. And Lord, as we dwell on these things, we know that our minds will cease to be earthly minded, but to be heavenly minded. And when we focus on these things, we will naturally live for you. Be our strength, Lord, to overcome the, the temptations of the flesh and help us, Lord, to, to enjoy the blessings of our salvation, the blessings of knowing you, knowing that you, Jesus, sit at the right hand of Almighty God and that you intercede on our behalf. And Lord, that you stand before us and you count us as righteous, not because of how good we are, but because of your righteousness that's been placed on us. Help us, Lord, to live in the power of your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.